This is Agents Influence Podcast. Really, the majority of the questions have been around customer service stuff that I think probably doesn't involve agents. But the chatbot thing is more of a buzz than I think it deserves to be. And then a lot of the rest of it is going to be the back office. Claim stuff, risk stuff. Can people use cameras to assess how much a car crash is going to cost? What kind of data could be used to you know, enhance our risk model so we can more tightly price our home insurance or whatever the case may be? So it's, it's the, the bigger risk modeling and the bigger process automation in the back end that tends to be the vast majority of the focus. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, conversations with Jason Cass. Good to be back with you. Uh, We're going to be talking a little what this agency is about or what this business is about. Excuse me. We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute, Cass, isn't your other podcasts, you know, over there? That's agency intelligence instead of the, it's the real agency intelligence instead of the artificial everybody tells you about. But today, today... We got this guy named Daniel Fagella on. Now, he is the CEO and founder of Emerge, and we're going to find out all about that. But they basically focus, from what I've read about them, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And when I found that out, I said, I got to find this guy. And so we found him and we brought him right directly to your ear. So, Daniel, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Glad to be here, Jason. Sweet, man. I'm, uh, we're getting ready to have a conversation like none under, none under. I can just absolutely tell, man, I love artificial intelligence. I love machine learning, insurance of things, all that together is just oh, phenomenal. En- enthusiastic insurance people, man. You, you're, you're one of a kind already, brother. Oh, let me tell you what I am. <laughs> uh, I, get that, I get that a lot. So no, 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 I am a, I am a different. Hey, I got to bring a different view to these people who think the same way all the time. You know, that's the oh, way yeah, we make yeah. change. I mean, well, the, the field is changing. You might as well. There's, there are things to be excited about. So I'm there with you. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, here's a question I need to ask you. The loyal listeners, that's the people listening from across uh, the world. They want to know something about you, Daniel. Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user? I'm an iPhone guy, and it's only because I'm just kind of like a Mac guy writ large. I'm not going to tell you that I'm loyal to the brand itself, but I am going to say the stuff works and doesn't get viruses, and I've been using it since undergrad, and so that's it. So I'm, I'm by no means like you know wearing a Mac t-shirt, but in general, when I get a new thing, it's going to be a refurbished Mac, and my phone is no my phone is no different. What's the la- last app you downloaded? Ah, oh, man, what was? Oh, actually, I got to pull this thing up. That's cool. The last app that I downloaded was uh, Wells Fargo, so I switched over to those guys, and we're, we're unfortunately have to handle checks gotcha. every now and again. And being able to have an app that can leverage that machine vision <laughs> to pop them into the system is is a I come from the B two C world where we didn't have to get checks in the mail, but now I'm in a place where we do. So yeah, Wells Fargo. Well, happens. I don't know what's more ridiculous. What's more ridiculous is is that we still have to get checks in the mail, or we still have banks that don't have apps that allow us to directly deposit it directly in by the snap. Right. I would say both of them are absurd <laughs> and a borderline obscene in, in 2018. Here, Daniel, you mean another another thing that's absurd? What's that? Why why do they still make us sign our signatures on the receipts whenever we buy something? What is going on here? What is the purpose of this yeah you know i 
I was literally, I, I was just talking to the guy who delivered Indian food here to the office uh, yesterday, and, and he said, he mumbled something like, I think this is going away when I was signing it. Like, I, I don't know exactly all the rumbles in the breeze about when and, and how you're going to be able to avoid that, but by golly, you know what it is, is, is these, these chargebacks is a real thing, Jason. So if you don't have, you know, hardcore evidence to back up with the, the merchant provider that that is not a false charge, like if there's in a lot of if you don't have the corroborating evidence there, then it is possible for someone to just walk through the airport, you know, get a bunch of coffees, and then hypothetically, you know, call their bank a week later and be like, "I didn't buy any of that stuff," you know, and and just get their money back, and then and then you get dinged for the fee, so what they paid, but then you also get dinged like twenty bucks, twenty five bucks a pop, and they can start to threaten your your merchant account getting shut down and stuff. And so having those validation factors just I think is a hedging of the bets, but. The fact that that is what's required, yeah, it's silly. It's so funny. You go online, you, you go online, and you, you can put in your credit card, and you know, exactly. as long as you have the three-digit yeah. little thing in the back, you can just you don't sign, you know. And here's I did talk to one merchant who told me this. I thought this was good, and I should, to be fair to both sides, I will say this. He said that it is a higher rate is what the business gets charged because they have the option of going without the signature, like you don't have oh, to sign, but it's okay. a higher rate, a little bit, a yeah, little bit higher risk. rate. But here's the what the insurance company or here's what the credit card companies are doing. They're doing that strategically. They make that a little bit higher of a rate because they know that the other is going to go away eventually. And it's going to be like, you're going to walk into a business and they're going to ask you to sign a receipt and you're going to go, are you freaking serious? Yeah. Like no one does this anymore. Right. But it's going to force the merchant to take that higher rate is what they're doing. So a lot of these merchants are trying to hang on. But here, here's the main thing, Daniel, we, we got off on there because there's still things that the listeners got to know. They got to, they got to know who Daniel is. And what, do you love the win or do you hate to lose uh oh man that jesus uh that that's tough i mean i i feel pretty strongly about both i mean it, it's really hard to pull the trigger on that I, I think i think loving to win would be a stronger pull but i mean i i i got them both in spades i i'm, I'm, I'm almost certain of it but but yeah i mean i i guess i think i i think wanting to win would be a bigger one so where you are now and how you've got here would you base it mainly on skill or on luck you know, I think it's uh, it's disingenuous to not give luck any credit at all. You know, I think if you're born in North America, you know, in New England, and you're, you know, you don't have to have a perfect childhood. You know, I don't know anybody that does, but you know, at least you don't get like you know struck on the head a lot of times when you're real young. You know, like <laughs> those things are luck, right? Like that, I can't I can't attribute any of that stuff to myself. So you know, there's a bunch of baseline things that that I think uh, that I don't take for granted. You know, being born in a in a country that that permits, you know, a reasonable degree of, of, of freedom. But, but, you know, the, there was, you know, 80 hour weeks as the norm for the last eight years or so probably as part of it as well. So, you know, he- healthy handful of both, uh, you know, try to try to add as much of my merit juice as I can. But the fact that I wasn't dropped down a flight of stairs when I was two, you know, I can't really attribute to myself. You're exactly right. That is a great way to look at that, Daniel. Take us back to when you uh, were, could have been dropped down the stairs. Take us back to diapers, high school, wherever you want to start and bring us forward to, uh, yeah. Sure, sure. So um, basically, I, I got interested early on, Jason, initially, you know, this whole intelligence thing was really just from the psychology side of things, you know, where, where I think we, you know, maybe presumed or where intelligence would have been talked about any, any time before, let's say, six years ago. And so I got interested in psychology as an undergrad. I was actually a competitive mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. So did a lot of competitions and wow. got the black belt and did the national tournaments and a lot of seminars nationally and internationally and uh, competing uh, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I, I actually ran a gym. So the way that I paid for college is a lot of ways you, you can do it. And you can deliver pizzas. You can, I don't know, sell insurance. 
Uh, I just decided to you know, <laughs> teach people to fight. And so, you know, we got enough to get a 4,000 square foot facility in my, my little hometown of Rhode Island. And so I was uh, studying basically psychology and the way I was paying for all the school stuff was, was basically running a fight house. And I went to graduate school at University of Pennsylvania to study psychology at a deeper level. Frankly, I wanted to study learning, Jason. So I wanted to study actually the, the neuroscience and the psychological models around how we learn to learn fast. And there is a, a good deal of literature around skill acquisition for music, for sport performance, for memorization, for all sorts of different skills. Um, that there's you know some robust studies around these things, and there's some thinkers that are pretty important there. And being in the Ivy Leagues, let me kind of tap them. Uh, so, so I went in for positive psychology, University of Pennsylvania, uh, and went into kind of learning and applying that stuff to different skills and, and, you know, my own experiments with applying that on myself as a guinea pig for combat sports. But this is 2011. And at this time, Jason, there were rustles in the academic breeze of this thing called machine learning. And now, you know, granted, I, I'm here studying adult learning. I'm, I'm studying skill acquisition. I'm studying, you know, to some degree, I, I, neuroscience was not the primary push. I was a psych guy, but, you know, you, you have to understand the fundamentals. And there were people basically knocking me on the shoulder and saying, hey, man, you know, all this, all this learning stuff you're doing, you know, they're getting computers to do that now. And so the early sort of look at what the heck's happening with computer vision, the early look at some interesting natural language processing applications. Uh, around kind of Twitter data and social media stuff. Some of this was going on at Penn in 2011 and got on my radar. And about a year later after graduating, I became convinced that the grand trajectory of intelligence kind of beyond humanity would be so ethically consequential that I should devote my life to it. And so kind of translating the implications and applications of AI to business and government leaders is, is now what I do. So, so kind of started with martial arts and psychology and now it's, uh, speaking for the United Nations and, and talking to global banks around whether or not they should build a customer service chatbot. So the United Nations and government officials and leaders, I mean, really, what, what, what does that look like? What does that mean, Daniel? Like, what are, what, how are you teaching them and trying to explain to them about AI and customer experience? What does that mean? Give me an example. Sure. Yeah, totally. So our, our, at the time of this recording, you and I here, you know, late November, my last big kind of paid research project was for the World Bank. So, I mean, you know, we could talk about the UN. I'm going to be speaking for, the, for a UN event. UN has a robotics and AI kind of division, um, and they have an event in Shanghai coming up around national security. And we actually focus a lot on surveillance and on defense applications and have been doing that for, for quite some time. Um, and so they basically, whether it's the World Bank or the UN, the commonality is kind of the same, Jason. These are folks who understand policy, who understand economics, but who maybe don't have a full-blown pulse as to the possibility space of AI. In other words, looking in academia, at the startup landscape, at the Fortune 500s, what's possible, and even more important, what's working in that possibility space of AI in, let's say, pharma, in, let's say, diagnostics, in, let's say, banking. Um, And so, so knowing those possibility spaces and having those be a part of the policy conversation, of the governance conversation is critical. You need to understand both the applications and the implications of the tech. And unless you got that pulse, real hard to have informed convos. And so I'm normally the guy that brings that puzzle piece of the possibility space that's kind of up to speed because all we do is talk to startups, uh, analyze case studies, deep dive into sectors, and, and talk to enough people to, to make your face blue. Uh, and, and as it turns out, governments need that stuff hot and heavy. And that's where we come in. So do you do any kind of uh, do you do any kind of work in the insurance space? 
Oh uh, yeah, for sure. So um, if you go on Google and you type in AI and insurance, I mean, if you're in front of a computer right now, you could do it. And if if I didn't show up number one in organic results, um, I'll I don't know mail you a check for two hundred dollars. So you know if you just Google AI and insurance, you go ahead and give it a try. Uh, you're going to find us, and we gobble up anywhere between twenty and forty thousand business. I did I did uh, AI insurance and AI um, in insurance, brother. No, no, AI no, no, no. In insurance, I, put, brother. I put AI insurance, and the first one in the organic search was artificial intelligence and insurance, and it's your guys's. Oh, uh, thank God. Okay, there we go. So we yeah, got that no. one too. So AI, yeah, exactly. there's, there's other companies that have other. So we, we go for all the keywords, but the, the the biggest push for us for insurance is is AI in insurance, and we're actually number one and two in both San Francisco and Boston for that term. Um, and so, yeah, we have twenty to 40,000 folks in it related to insurance, let's say insurance professionals who are interested in AI landing on the site in a given month. And what that means is if we cookie those folks, we can retarget that same group of people um, from, from like the last six months back. So we can say everybody who, right. who's read business-related AI content in the last six months and spent five minutes or more on the website – rotate this landing page, this research report, whatever, uh, to that group of people. And so insurance is actually one of our big four. So insurance, banking, life sciences, and defense, um, those are the sectors that we uh, dive into big time because insurance is just such a gargantuan industry. Uh, can't, we can't leave it out. Well, and not only that, it's also yeah. it's also very archaic, and it needs uh, it needs slapped in the face a little bit. So we know we hear a lot about, especially these loyal listeners that are listening to this. They're kind of the higher achieving, more progressive thinking agents. The agents, ninety nine percent of them are probably not going to use agency intelligence probably for another three years, five years, ten years. They don't even realize it if they are using it. They, they, and I hate to say it, I got a friend. Uh, his name is Jeff Roy. He said. Agency and AI will never replace agents, but agents who use AI will replace those who don't. And I, and I think that he's very much right there because it's all about enhancing the relationship um, rather than eliminating it. Now, I want to ask you, these agents on here, they, they understand that. Can, what, can you give us some insight to some of the things you're seeing in the insurance space as to how AI is going to affect it. Yep. So I'll talk about this in two slices. So uh, there, there is kind of the operations, we could call it like maybe back office, but it's kind of like the operation side. And then, okay. then there's the customer experience sort of uh, sales enablement, marketing, you know, customer service sort of side of things as, as well. Give us both. Yeah, I'll hit you with both. So just to be really clear, before I talk about both, I'm not here to burst anyone's bubble, Jason. We, we've written a lot about mm-hmm. AI and small business, but there are very strong, powerful barriers to bringing AI to very small companies. There are very robust barriers. It, there may be some tools that come pre-trained and permit folks to be a little bit more effective with email reminders and other stuff like that. And we can get into that. I'm not going to leave that out. But to be clear, a robust AI application, let's say a really robust and powerful, capable chatbot, which in insurance... You know, there might be some minor examples of that, but there's nothing mind-blowing, e- even for the big guys, right. right? So if you're a 20-person mm-hmm. firm, you're unlikely to build anything better than Allstate has, has, has built. At least, I'm not saying you shouldn't try, but eh, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> uh, we feel yeah. you. So, no, so, we feel um, you. Uh, these, these applications, or if you want to build a very robust risk model or a very robust sort of sales enablement program for really in-depth lead scoring, you're going to need a bunch of things, Jason, that small businesses don't have. One of those is in-house data science talent. If you're an insurance firm and you have 200 people working for you, the likelihood that even one of them is like a really hardcore data scientist or machine learning engineer 
it, it's probably like I I mean it, it's exceedingly yeah. low, right? It, it's, very it's exceedingly rare. low. Very now, if you're a 200 person e-commerce firm, the likelihood of you having a data scientist is actually much higher. There's some firms that have a, a better digital fluency. They tend to be able to. They were born in data. They understand this stuff. Maybe it's those skills are more embedded in the normal workflows and, and kind of naturally move and evolve a little bit faster than maybe insurance. And I think the folks that move fast will certainly have the advantages they have in, in essentially all industries. But you're going to need data science talent. You're going to need volumes of data, right? If you want to do lead scoring, oh, I'm going to I'm going to have a way better way to score my leads. Okay, how many leads do you get a month? Do you get like a hundred thousand? Because if you get like a hundred, you're not training any models, you know, and you you, you, sh- you honestly right. shouldn't be deceiving yourself into thinking you are. So the building of AI, the actual development of AI is for right now, Jason, relegated to firms that have robust profitability, robust access to data scientists. And I do not want to deceive folks and say, yeah, small business too. I, I don't want to be a cheerleader. That's not what I'm here for. I'm also not here to be, Only I'm makes not here sense. To be a pessimist Only either, Jason. I'm not here to be a pessimist either. So I will say that there are some tools that will come pre-trained that will eventually be made accessible to insurance people. Better marketing automation tools, better CRM enhancement tools, better email and messaging follow-up tools that may involve some degree of AI. And, and those, those could in, indeed be handy, but most insurance firms probably aren't even using freaking MailChimp, never mind the latest, greatest version of Marketo. Exactly. So I'm, I'm also not going to sit here and say, hey, your edge for tomorrow, Mr. Insurance Salesperson, is to embed AI into your sales enablement process. It's like, no, how about send a damn newsletter and get yourself some extra appointments every now and again, right? So I, I also, That's I'm right. not the guy that, that says AI is always the answer. And again, for small business, I'm especially not. But I'll talk about the two vistas of possibility. I'll be very quick, and then we'll dive into whichever of them you're interested in. And I have a feeling I have, a, I have a sense of which one you're, you're kind of down with. So you have the back office where risk models are getting a lot more intense. So what was involved in factoring for how risky you are as a car insurance buyer um, today, you know, in, factoring for machine learning could potentially be vastly more nuanced and detailed than what it was in the past. You know, smoker, non-smoker, male, Corvette, red, you know, okay, those things maybe have been in the model for a long time, but we might be able to take in social media information. We might be able to take in uh, all kinds of smaller signals around how much you've interacted with customer service or like factoring for fender benders in some like new, really robust way that tends to correlate more closely with, uh, you know, how those behaviors tie to longer term risk and sort of adjusting people's rates. Um, that, that will be, I, I think, a lot more of an audience of one in terms of, of modeling for, for risk and pricing for policies. Um, similarly, for claims, there, there will be a good deal of kind of claims automation. There's machine vision to be able to assess damages, which I, I think is still nascent, but is pretty exciting. Um, there's kind of the white collar automation of a claim. There's the detection of fraud for claims, which I think is big money for these big firms. I agree. Filtering for mm-hmm. fraud is astronomically big deal, powerful money. Yep. So, so we have back office stuff and, and there's more white collar automation back there. And then, then we have the front facing stuff, which in my opinion, Jason, it is going to be in the future what helps determine who starts to win market share, but is presently uh, vastly more nascent than the back office stuff. Namely, things like customer service chatbots that can sell you and cross sell you, or that can hand you off to a salesperson really, you know, hot and ready and in the right way, or uh, kind of sales enablement, kind of CRM integrated tools. I'm sure some of the big folks like the Geico's and whatnot may be using things like that. Um, but it doesn't seem to be anywhere near the degree of robustness as the efforts are uh, to enhance pricing and and to to kind of work with the claims workflow. Those things really seem to be where the money is, as opposed to 
to sales enablement and even customer service, customer experience, as, as much as maybe we could wish it was the other way around. That's this current state of affairs. But you can let me know which one you want to dive into. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. No, I mean we can we can dive into both, but like let's discuss where we're at right now with this. So, so I think about like um, uh, one thing I think about is it has to do with I was I'm part of this Ivan's uh, where Ivan's Insurance uh, is a the, all of our downloads come from the companies to Ivan's and then they take that data and they transfer it into our management systems. And I I was at an event that they were having. I sit on their advisory board and the guy said something that was amazing. And I can't remember the figure, but he said that 60% of all quotes on average or all submissions that come to an insurance company, 60% of them are denied. It's an industry standard, not just for one company or another, could be a little less, a little more. And what they were trying to do is they're trying to figure out how do they recapture that 60%, meaning how do they not get it at all? Because they said that 60% is costing them tens of maybe a hundreds oh, of I millions of dollars yeah, yeah. having to deny those quotes. And I wonder how the insurance companies on their side can help us more than just giving us some chart that says, hey, do it's a, um, it's a flower shop, go to our appetite guide and look and what'll tell you if we write that or not. I mean, we should just be able to put in the stuff and the AI machine learning should go out, get everything out there that's online about that company, bring it in and be able to tell us, yes, this is something that we will write. And, and heck, to be honest with you, once they get all the information, it should come back and say, yes, we can write it and here's the quote. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. It does. I'll tell you how I might see this rolling out. So you are correct to presume that it will be the big boys that provide you guys with the tools, but it will potentially and, and certainly inevitably you know, affect the workflow of the smaller folks. But yes, the, the, the robustness of a, of a solution to filter for fraud in, in such a dynamic, wild environment uh, is definitely going to be in the domain of people that have huge teams of data scientists, reams of data, and lots of money to spend on it. That being said, here's how I think it'll evolve, Jason. This is my presumption based on talking to firms. And we've actually done a lot of looks at what Europe is doing in insurance as opposed to the US as well. So kind of across the board, 
you know, how would I would presume this would roll out? I would presume that the factors for fraud. So what's happening, just so your folks tuned in kind of understand, is if machine learning is being leveraged to detect what is fraud and what is not, to a large extent, Jason, this is being informed by, I'm going to roughly break it into two parts. I'm sure somebody who's a PhD in AI would correct this, but I mean, I'm speaking to execs, you guys need a functional understanding. Let's roll. So um, number one, we have instances of a claim. And we have those instances are either labeled as Yes, this is a good claim by a, by a talented, trained professional says, yes, this is a good claim, or no, this is a doggone fraudulent claim, or or maybe there's some middle flag called, well, we need to do more homework, and here's okay. why. Um, so that that's one factor. We have the individual instances, and if they're colored, red, yellow, and, and green. Now, of course, I'm oversimplifying, but you understand what, yes. I'm, what I'm doing. And then number two, we have the features that this system is being trained on. What are features? Well, a feature might be, how big is the company making the claim? Is this a two-person flower shop or a gigantic national chain of flower shops with, you know, I don't know, 4,000 employees or, or 80,000 employees or whatever? So we've got that. We've got what kind of claim was it? Was it fire? You know, and where was the claim? We've got geo regions. So you might expect maybe a fire claim in... I'm just making this up, but a fire claim in Vermont might be vastly more likely to be fraudulent than a fire claim in um, Scottsdale, Arizona, just given the climate factors here. Right. And I'm, I'm completely making that up, but you get. I know. I know. I follow you. I like. Yeah, what you look doing. at the data. You look at the data. So, so you've got you've got geo region. You've got type of claim. You've got type of person. You've got the details about how the claim was filed. So they filled in all these fields and described things. You can look at the emotionality of the filing itself. You can look at the how you know, the depth and the breadth of the description of what happened. And you can use all of those. What, what essentially a machine learning program would do, Jason, is it's going to get a sense for which patterns of factors correlate to a red instance, correlate to a green instance, or correlate to a yellow instance. And so what's going to happen is we'll eventually be able to have models that can dish something to a human and say, hey, we think this is 70, there's a 75% chance that this is fraud. Here's the features that seem to be getting called out uh, that, that we've seen historically kind of correlate to fraud. You, Mr. Human Expert, can make the end call, but we want to let you know this is what we saw sticking out as a sore thumb. There might be other instances, Jason, where the confidence uh, level is like 90, and if it's 90 and above, an agent like you might never see it. Right, so so the way that this works with other areas, I'm just explaining machine learning. Let's talk about a customer service chatbot. Initially, we're taking refund requests with a chatbot. Okay, well, we're going to need to factor for all these different kinds of ways people could ask for refunds and talk about refunds, and our confidence ratios might be kind of low. The machine might not really be all that sure about what's a refund request and what's not. But after a certain amount of training, a certain amount of human input saying, okay, machine, you did a good job. That was, that was a refund. Okay, machine, you did a bad job. That was not a refund. With enough time, that confidence ratio could lift to the point, Jason, where things above a 90% confidence threshold, a human doesn't have to look at. The person just gets the refund automatically. You see mm-hmm. where I'm going? Yep, yep, So, yep. so um, the same thing could hypothetically happen here in the claims world, where if the features could be coaxed out and the instances can be trained at enough volume, we may be able to shield the boots-on-the-ground people from having to dig up those features with Google, because the system already has, and it's given a confidence ratio that means this does not have to be seen by a person. We're just chopping this thing down. And that might be a way to save people time. So a chatbot, so 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 Lemonade. Lemonade does this. I mean, this exact thing. And so do they have enough data to be able to do what they say they do, how they can settle claims with the chatbot? Um, well, there's, there's a lot to go into here. Um, 
so I, I respect and like Lemonade as a company. I, I think they've done a great job positioning and branding themselves. I also think the value proposition is really strong, that we've covered them a bunch of times, and I think what they're doing is cool. Exactly how capable is the AI? I don't know. I would, you know, they have talented people there. So there's a lot of quote unquote AI companies that you do a bunch of digging and there's no data scientists, there's no strong machine learning folks, there's no people with a history with machine learning at big marquee companies like IBM or Facebook or something like that. Uh, Lemonade, from my understanding, is is pretty stacked in terms of having the requisite talent on deck. But in terms of what a chatbot can do, my guess is there are certain exceedingly rote kinds of things that the chatbot can completely handle. My other mm-hmm. guess is, uh, Jason, that below a certain confidence threshold, which is, I don't know, I mean, it could still be most inquiries. Humans are either filtering and picking from a range of potential templates to reply to, and then those human replies are fed into the system to help train it to, to have a higher confidence ratio and answer those questions in the future. Or humans are just straight up answering these things in some weird cases, and they might be able to keep it behind the veneer of an AI. Gotcha. There's nothing wrong with that, um, but it would be misleading if they weren't training an AI while doing it. So True. if it was just people and it was like a mechanical Turk, now, now calling it AI means you're kind of being a scoundrel. But if you're automating some things and you're leveraging human input to be able to have a broader and broader capability space for responses, then that is still AI. I would guess that there's somewhere in the middle of the road there with some stuff handled and a lot of stuff filtered by human input or full-blown typed by people. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so any other thoughts of the big time, big boys maybe on, are they asking questions like, hey, how can we use this to help our agents? How can we use this to help them sell more? Yeah. You know, to be honest, that isn't where I've seen the attention. So uh, we've worked in the space, both in terms of speaking for these folks and, and kind of and normally this is the bigger firms, by the way, we, you know, there's not that many, uh, six person agents that necessarily want to, want to pay folks like us, but, um, no, I understand. In, in, the, in the big show, really the majority of the questions have been around customer service stuff that I think probably doesn't involve agents. Namely the, the chatbot thing is more of a buzz than I think it deserves to be, but it tends to be a focus for these folks. And then a lot of the rest of it is going to be the back office, the actual kind of sales enablement and follow up and like boots on the ground you know, sales enhancing stuff, essentially ever the first thing out of the mouth of either analysts in this space or execs at, let's say, the all states of the world or or other firms like this. Really? What comes out of their mouth first? I mean, claim stuff, risk stuff. Can people use cameras to to assess how much a a car crash is going to cost? You know, what kind of data could be used to, you know, enhance our risk models so we can more tightly price you know, our home insurance or whatever the case may be. So it, it's the, the bigger risk modeling and the bigger process automation in the back end that tends to be the ba- vast majority of the focus. And if it's ever customer facing, it's almost always chatbots. I've, I've never once had either after an event or, you know, in a boardroom, uh, had somebody say, you know, in the some, uh, insurance professional uh, of some, you know, reasonable means, um, say something like, hey, what can we do for the boots on the ground folks? Now, I'm not saying that they're not thinking of you guys or I'm not disparaging right. them. Right. I'm right. just saying, you know, just for the your, the knowledge of your folks tuned in, it is not the highest level thing on the radar. And to be honest, Jason, I mean, to, to, to be honest with you, because most of those folks aren't even using Mailchimp, to some degree, I can sympathize with the fact why why it's not uh, their 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 primary concern. Now, I think market share will be determined by who nails customer experience and sales, but AI innovation and insurance there is less of a focus than it probably should be. But then again, we got a lot of grandpappies out there. Uh, doing doing the 
you know, home insurance deal. Well, I think, I think where insurance companies are missing the boat, I don't think they are, is that they really truly believe that they need to invest in that direct to consumer approach. And they understand that we're never going to go away. There'll be a segment of us, but I think they're misjudging the segment and the amount of that. When AI is officially used and used well, it is used to enhance relationships. I mean, that's what it is used to do. It's in, it's used to enhance the relationship around things that allow us to, as an insurance advisor, to be able to look at some artificial intelligence to tell me about my client, to me being able to have a more deep, meaningful communication from them right off the bat rather than, hey, how are you doing? How's your kids? So what do kids, blah, 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 blah. No, get to the point and get to where you're really going to help the person. Uh, Daniel Burrish, one of the best future futurists out there that I know, and he works a lot in insurance, um, does a lot of stuff, works for the head joint chief of staff. And he talks to him about artificial intelligence. And when he says, I says to me, um, he deals with Watson uh, daily. And he tells me, he says, Jason, the thing that you need to know is that the future is related relationships and AI is going to enhance that. What they don't understand is that. And here's what, give me a point. I'll give you a point in uh, case in point. If I want to go to Allstate or to their online direct, which is insurance, okay. I can go there. I can put in my name. I could put in as a consumer, I can put in my name. I can put in five, 10 pieces of basic information and it will come back with two or three more questions, and then boom, a quote, I can issue and bind. That same consumer calls me, and I have to have them on the phone for 20 minutes. I literally, I've, I have a two-page uh, page that my, that my piece of paper that my staff uses, it has 79 questions on it. And to get an exact quote all the way down to where I can deliver it, I need to get those 79 questions. Now, if I want to extend some other discounts, I need to ask some more. But those 79 questions have to be asked. And so if I was an insurance company, I would be investing because we say it all the time. Why do if you're giving that Allstate, because I represent Allstate, if you're giving, if you're giving the consumer that, why when they call me, do I have to drag them on for 15 to 20 minutes? You're putting me at a disadvantage. And I really truly believe, Daniel, that deep down they understand that we're still needed, but they think eventually we're going to lose out. So you wouldn't want to invest that money there. Where they're missing the boat is they don't understand the technology is actually going to help and enhance that. And and we yeah, and I'm sorry to keep going, but this is so important. This is so important for all the loyal listeners too. The real true meaning of an agent is an upfront underwriter. And so here we go trying to use AI to fix the claims process to make sure the amount being paid was right and was it covered correctly and is there fraud in it? That's a lot of things that agents who are on the ground should be doing. So maybe if they would invest a little bit in understanding who we are and the value we have and that the technology that you speak of actually can enhance us, help enhance the client, which means they stay with us, which means we keep that upfront underwriting. And then on the back on, they're not going to have to worry about that so much. Are they going to need the direct to direct? Yes. Are, but what I'm thinking is I think they're short-sighted on how that AI can actually benefit them on the front end rather than on the back. Sorry, just had to go off there for a minute. Yeah. You want me, can I just touch please, on that? You want me to please. just riff on that Hit topic? Me. Okay. So I feel you and where you're coming from, I, I don't think relationships are getting automated tomorrow. That's for sure. But I'm also not a thousand percent certain. So I, and actually we're putting out a whole piece about this. There's people who hype AI will automate everything. 
And then there's people who hype AI will only augment and won't automate. And both of those people are, are being dogmatic and, and frankly, like, uh, uh, like ch- insultingly childish. Interesting. Um, so, so it's very clearly going to be a combination of both. There will very clearly be things that will not be jobs in two years, in five years that, that our jobs. Agreed. I'm not saying in agents necessarily. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you, if you say, well, AI is always about augmentation. Like th- that, that, that's a really stupid thing to say. Uh, and then to say AI is only about automating human work is also remarkably stupid um, because it's obviously more nuanced than that. So in the case of, of insurance, you know, in, in your business here, uh, I think, you know, the closest analogy, I know it's not a direct one, but hang with me. The closest analogy, probably there's some degree where uh, financial advisors kind of fit the bill here. You know, you're you're not the mothership company, but you are the interface. You're the trust. You're the handshake. You're the birthday card. You are all mm-hmm. that stuff. I I believe that there's a future for those folks as well as for insurance agents. I don't think that AI will only help relationships. I think that there will be segments of the market that would like to skip needing a schmo with a goddamn suitcase to sit down with them over coffee to do some freaking insurance. I ran a martial arts gym. Dude, I don't want to sit down with anybody. And look, I'm not saying I don't like you, Jason. I'm just saying I ain't trying to meet you uh, just to run my business. I ain't trying to do it, bro. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to do it. And so, and so I would, I would rather get all the best quotes aggregated, click and buy. So long as it's legal, get me out of right. here, man. You know, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's where I see this happening. Some segments of the market, to be frank, if it can be really robustly displayed in front of them and, and you know, kind of like the robo advisor thing for financial advisors, right? You got a lot of these nasty millennials who aren't, who aren't shaking hands with Edward Jones guys at a coffee shop. And instead they're using a robo advisor. Oh, those dastardly millennials. <laughs> well, I hate to say it. I hate to say it, pal, but you know, there's going to be those people in insurance too. Sure. And I damn well am one of them. I goddamn well am one of them. However, however, um, there are, will be plenty of businesses that are old school that need a handshake because, you know, like my dad, for example, like tough for him to tackle email, grew a business in kind of the, you know, an, an older day and probably wants, you know, the people person kind of thing. Although now he's getting used to Amazon one click and he never shops anymore. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's finally, he's using Airbnb. It's great to see him kind of, you know, getting into it, but there's going to be those folks. And then there's also going to be really complex needs. So a guy like you, Jason, I am not going to be able to get a machine to talk about the real nuances of different policy decisions and making the right purchase for mm-hmm. me, right? If it's not just a race, to, like when I was in the martial arts world, it's like, dude, if someone breaks their arm, am I freaking covered or not? Get this over with. I got sales to make, right. goddammit. That, that's where insurance sat mm-hmm. for me, okay? But, but if I run a factory or if I run a chain of, of locations and I have concerns, questions, deeper answers I require, uh, cross comparisons between different insurance offerings, uh, the ramifications financially and legally, and those are pretty deep. I need you, man. I need to sit across from you and I'm going to trust the heck out of you if you know me well and you know my use case. So I would say just like with financial advisors, the upmarket folks who have value beyond doing the basic stuff that beyond doing stuff that nobody wants to do, right? Nobody wants to sit down with Edward Jones guy just to make, you know, just to, just to put stuff in an ETF, right? Nobody wants to do that. And honestly, it costs mm-hmm. too damn much. So, so you just use a robo-advisor. But if, you're, if you have financial needs that, are, that require a degree of feedback and expertise, well, maybe you do trust that person and that's where it's still valuable. Agreed. So that's a little bit of nuance to where you were going. I'm not necessarily arguing against your position, but I would say the people who are dealing with schmoes like me when I was running a martial arts gym to pay for the Ivy Leagues, 
I am totally going to use a machine because I don't care how fucking great your jokes are and you can cut the swear. Sorry, man. I just haven't slept a lot. No, no, I, no. I, I swear all the time. You're good, okay, brother. Yeah, You're I good. apologize. I, I, I got to get more sleep. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the, 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 you know, like, like, you know, a guy like me, I think you're going to lose me as soon as it's possible. But the other people, you could be the one who's known as knowledgeable, who's known as responsive, who's known as trustworthy. And that is undeniably, I think, a great opportunity. And I think moving up market to that crowd and having that expertise and those great relationships, AI will enhance that. It's not the primary push from the big insurance providers. But Jason, for your sake and, and for the industry in general, I hope it is. Because you know, to, to riff with you, I think where you were saying there's opportunity, there definitely is. And I hope to see more investment there in the future. But I do think it'll be a mixed bag for the people at the very bottom of the barrel for insurance offerings. And here's the other problem with it, Daniel, and you you hit on it uh, about five minutes ago. We are penalized, the, uh, me and the loyal listeners here, because we're the forward-thinking agents that say, man, insurance company, if you gave this to me, I would use it. But we're stuck and tagging along with the other 99%. Are, yes. I was at this Ivan's meeting, and I was talking to the head of uh, – we were talking about this certain product that they could use. And this one guy said, hey, we should use this, da, 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 da. And one of the other companies, uh, the, the CTO of Hartford stood up, and he said, he said, here's the deal. He said, this is going to cost us, let's just say $10 million to make this work. It's hard for me to go back to the powers that be that give my department the money and say to them, hey, I need $10 million to do this. Because they look at me and say, you know what? We gave you $10 million three other times over the last five years, and you built a product that less than 1% of the market is using. And so we're not going to keep investing in that. And that's what it does. It starts strangling me. Right, who's saying no, 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 no? If you make that, I'll use it. I'll use it. I promise. Yeah, you know what I mean? Strangle you, though. And, it does, and, and it does, and that's the problem that me and these loyal listeners have, and that's why that's why we bring people like you on, Daniel, to get in the back of our mind, make us think differently, so we can have different conversations with our carriers when they're in our office. You know, like, hey, I got to see you doing this. Um, state, state auto. State Auto is a company, they, they totally got rid of their whole quoting platform. They Now you can go to their quoting platform. It's two pages, of, and when I say two screens, actually, of less than 10 questions, and boom, you can get an auto and home quote, and it pre-fills everything for you. And because State Auto made the initiative, they said, hey, we only sell through independents, and we're going to give them the same uh, way to do it as they would do it online. And, and I really admire them doing that because now what it allows me to do is when I'm dealing with someone like you who only wants a machine but can't get it totally, I'm now not going, hey, man, uh, I know I just took 20 minutes of your time asking you questions, Daniel, but can I get back with you in two or three days on that quote? Oh, God. That's yeah, embarrassing, yeah. Oh, bro. Oh, it totally is, man. That's embarrassing yeah. to us. We don't want to have to say that. You know, and it's, I want to be- bottom of the barrel guy, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to be like, hey, Daniel, here's five minutes. Let me ask you a couple questions. Boom, here's your price. Yeah, Kevin. I want it. Bam out the door. We'll take care of it. See you later. Yep. You know, that's, that's what we want to do. We want yeah. to do that. And, and, and I wish that because especially, especially Daniel, these millennials, these 20 and 30 year yep. olds, man, yep. this is how they want to sell insurance. hundred percent. They want to do it. And it's like, give me, but you know what? They, they don't, they listen to the old stale male and pale little white bellies up there who run <laughs> yeah, all this yeah. stuff and they don't, they don't pay attention to us guys who are trying to change the world. And here's the deal. Those <sighs> old stale male white guys who run these large agencies, those are the same carriers that are going to these agencies and saying, man, we want growth. We want growth. We want growth. And the, and the guy's kind of like, well, I'm sitting on a $5 million traveler's book. I know travelers wants growth, but I'm not going to grow because they're not going to do anything to me. And then the guy down the street, the young agent, 
agent that's going to carry travelers into the future. He's begging for a traveler's contract. He's begging for it. And if travelers would give it to him, give him three years and he'd outplay that agency that they've been for 20 years. But that's what we're caught in right now. And I, to be honest with you, I feel sorry for the carriers. I was just talking to one of, I was just, I I do. Cause I was just talking to one of my clients and he comes in, his name's Ben. He's, he's like 28 years old. He comes in and he pays his premium in full with progressive every six months. And, and, and I do not, we do not have walk-in clients. So, So this is unusual. And then for him to be like 27, 28 years old, this is really weird. So I was talking to Ben and we were having this conversation. And, and, and one of the things I, I told him is I said, you don't know how hard and expensive it is for businesses right now to cater to people like you. And he kind of looked at me and I have a relationship that I can talk to in this way. And I said, Ben, I said, if you, if I told you, Hey Ben, you don't have to come in here you can just give us your stuff over the phone or we can do this automatic progressive will set it up. I said, how would you like that? And he goes, I really don't like that. I like coming in. That's why I do that. I said, I know, Ben. I said, but I have the other people as well who also say, if you don't provide me that other way, I'm not going to do it. So I have to go buy software. I have to spend five, $600 a month for people to use things when less than probably 5% of my clients use it because the others are like you, Ben. And so when you're looking at it as a carrier, they are caught. They got to do it the way the old guy did it, right? They got to do it, or an old guy or gal, veteran, sorry, when I say it, veterans. (laughs) And and they got to do it the way that these millennials, exennials, and Generation X want to do it. And so it's 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 an expense to them because they have to be able to service that both ways. And but then again, at the end of the day, that's not my problem. I'm writing a lot of premium, and you're making a lot of money off this, so you need to change insurance company. So, anyways, hey, I appreciate that was a good riff, man, and uh, we we broke it down. I do know that you're sitting on the edge of a stop, and uh, because for all. Uh, all clarity, guys. I was the one who was uh, late to this party. Daniel was not. So, Daniel, real quick, leaders are readers and readers are leaders. Um, what are you reading right now? Man, well, I, I tend to read a lot of biography and a lot of history because I'm interested in international kind of dynamics of this stuff. I don't know. That's probably not all that Tell us what you read. No, that sounds great. Sure, sure. I'm reading uh, a biography on Mao and another biography on Pericles. And otherwise, I'm reading a book on the... Uh, the culture of military innovation. So kind of comparing Israel, Russia, and the U.S. in terms of the ways that they think through and develop sort of solutions in, in the, the defense and, and military space. So it's a little bit niche you know, right. to, to what maybe the audience is into. But you know, these are fields I'm focused on. And so I like to think kind of big picture and, and history is, is my best tool for doing that. You just don't understand. It's okay. Because a lot of other insurance podcasts, they wouldn't get it. But these loyal listeners that are listening to this, they're geeking out with us, dude. And they cool. want to know, hey, Daniel, appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on to Agents Influence Conversations with Jason Cass. Um, uh, let's hook back up in the future. Yeah, sure, man. Glad to be here. Good to meet you. No, learned a ton. I hope you loyal listeners did as well. This has been Agents Influence Podcast, Jason with Conversations with Jason Cass. Remember, tell me your thoughts, tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This is Cass, and I'm out.